Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Hi, welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. So today it's just me. My guest actually didn't show. So I'm taking a quick pivot and wanting to let you guys know about what happiness habits for happiness is and the 10 core habits that I teach in my work. And you might even be thinking like, why did I ever even put habits and happiness in the same sentence? And I think in order to explain that, I just have to, you know, back up a little bit. So in my view, we really have happiness backwards. Um, you know, I think that our world is so fast paced and we're striving and striving and striving. So if you want to learn how to unlearn, please keep listening because today I will tell you about 10 free simple habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier and healthier. So let's go back. So you know, you may have noticed that the world is coming back to life again, post COVID. And here we are striving and striving and back to the crazy social engagements and to-do list and all the frenetic energy that we had a quick break from. So it's interesting in that we get a sort of frame of reference to be able to see that busyness from this other place of non-busyness, right? And that's what makes this specific topic so interesting at this tender time, which it really is a tender time now for most people as we go back into sort of this frenetic lifestyle. And the thing is, is these multitasking um, situations we put ourselves in, whether it's Zooming and emailing, or if it's just relentless to-do list or social engagements to go to over and over again, you know, it's left us really depleted, um, especially because we're not used to it. But truthfully, even before COVID, it's led us to a place of being very unhappy. And, you know, there's so many authors that have written about this, and I've really been on a happiness journey, which I'll tell you about in a second. But the idea of happiness and the idea of not being busy is not necessarily a new one, which is interesting because, um, I always love this stat. The data shows that a hundred years ago, we made less decisions than we do in one day now in an entire lifetime. So I'll say that again, a hundred years ago, we made less decisions an entire lifetime than we do in one day now, right? So we're making more decisions in one day now than we used to in an entire lifetime. No wonder our brains are super tired. And you know, just a little bit about me. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, from a big, big Southern family. And my mother was one, the youngest of five uh, girls and named Lady, and I was named after her. And, you know, in 1985, she died by suicide. And my whole world of belonging, my whole context of knowing and connection and everything sort of broke. I mean, not sort of, it did. And within a year of her death, my dad remarried, had a baby, we moved houses, and my mother's family stopped talking to us. And as a result, I really became the one thing in my world that wasn't like the others. No one else I knew had had this experience. 
no one else I knew had had these loss of connection. And I figured I was pretty young to have this happen to me. I knew that big things happened to people that were adults, but I figured this was a pretty adult thing happening to me as a kid. I had that awareness, right? Um, And I definitely had some magical thinking going on. I used to sit at the bottom of the stairs in my dad's house, just waiting for mom to come home. I thought if I sat there long enough that she'd come. And I oftentimes thought she had just taken a break from us, that maybe she had gone somewhere else um, and was tired and needed a rest. And I waited and waited for her. Um, And I didn't find her, of course, because she didn't come home. And I sort of, that whole experience obviously was a major life experience But it also sent me on a journey to look for something I couldn't find anymore. It was like, when we have these experiences, these trauma experiences, they leave a hole in us that we then tend to try to fill. I don't know if that sounds resonates for any of our listeners, but for me, it was like, I was obsessed with finding it. And I knew it wasn't in New Orleans and I knew that it wasn't going to be found with, or, you know, in the context of the life I was living or with the people around me. Um, and so at a pretty young age, around age 15, I started going on adventures, um, you know, all sorts of adventures, biking adventures. I spent a summer in Alaska, spent a summer in other places doing volunteer work. And I just knew that wherever happiness lived, it didn't live inside of me. And, you know, I was I was thinking before the show today of talking about this topic. I, you know, I've done some amazing things in my life, and and but at an urgency of like I was trying to uncover happiness. Like I've been to you know six continents and sixty countries, and and done some crazy crazy things. And and in all those places, you know, happiness didn't live. And you know, I. Um, got a business degree um, at University of San Francisco. I thought happiness might live in education. I went and married a great looking guy. I had kids that I felt probably pretty ill-equipped to have since I didn't have a mother myself. But I thought if I had all these shiny objects, like if I if I could start a business, which I did, if I could get the degree, if I could graduate summa cum laude, which I did, then I would be okay. That happiness would eventually find me that that hole inside of me would go away. And the funny thing is the hole didn't go away. It actually got bigger. So the more experiences I accumulated, the more um, qualifications next to my name, um, the more things I did, the more impact I had, it still let me feeling pretty empty. And, um, you know, fast forward, fast forward, um, I found myself in about 2014 with a failing business. I had, I once had 80 employees and 13 retail stores around the country from coast to coast. And I, you know, was in an unhappy marriage and I was, I was drinking too much. And I really found myself confused. I was like, how did I get here? I've done everything I was supposed to do. I did you know, I, I walked the walk, I talked the talk, I went to all the places, I did all the things, I accumulated all the objects, I gained all the knowledge, but like, it's crumbling around me. I've built a house of cards. And, and, and little did I know that that experience was the best experience of my entire life. You know, it was, I definitely had about three or four years in there of dark night of the soul, where I really, really, really got to terms with what it meant to be human, right? And, and 
realized that happiness wasn't in the places that I'd looked. It was somewhere else. And the last place I knew to look was within myself because I'd already looked everywhere else. And so I got to reading. And anyone who knows me knows that I love to read, but I really spent a couple of years there just with my head in the sand reading. I was really on a journey, a wisdom journey to learn like where was happiness. And no matter which books I read, whether it was the Bible or the Tao Te Ching or ancient texts, they all said the same thing. And they all said that happiness lives inside of us. And it was amazing because these books were written, you know, in some cases, 5,000 years ago. And I, I, I couldn't understand why in 5,000 years ago, the anxious were telling us something so simple, the key to most of us, what most of us want here on this planet. And we had just failed to listen. How did we get 5,000 um, years into the future with all the things that we have and all the advancements? And we lost the basic knowledge that had the keys to what I would call like the kingdom of ourselves. And so then I decided, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be a coach and, and I'm a suicide prevention advocate and I still run businesses and all the things, but I'm going to tell people this message. I'm going to go out and tell people this message of happiness. Well, it wasn't enough, right? Because telling people, well, happiness is inside of you is a wonderful metaphysical idea, but it doesn't have it's stickiness, right? Nobody knows, okay, well then tell me how to get there because I would like to get there is pretty much the response that I would receive. And I found when I really, really looked and took classes and, um, you know, did research, um, I would highly recommend, um, you know, Lori Santos's classes at, at um, Yale, the beauty of science of well-being, And that one was a pivotal one for me, but this, this amazing concept that through these through these free things that we can do in our daily life, we can access that place within where happiness lives. Now, the interesting thing is most people don't talk about this because you can't sell something that's free. So there's no real reason to, for people to be proselytizing gratitude, water, kindness, and forgiveness, right? It doesn't really sell. It might sell a book, might sell a course, but it's not selling a product to make you better now right? It's not a happiness pill. And because of that, these free things get stuffed under the rug. And I'm here to tell you about these free things because they're so, so important for our well-being, especially in this tender time of COVID. So, you know, I um, have a book coming out called Habits for Happiness, 10 Free Habits to <laughs> for a Happy Life. And, you know, in the foreword that I looked over this morning, it, it it occurred to me that, you know, if you aren't practicing these habits, then it really doesn't matter, cue my story, where you go looking because happiness isn't out there. It's inside, right? And, you know, it's important that we regain the plot in our lives. It's important that we regain the ability to, to write our own stories and have our own narrative. And in order to have agency over ourselves and others, uh, sorry, agency over ourselves and the way we treat others, the only way we can do that is by practicing what I would call going to the spiritual gym or other people just having a routine of healthy habits. And I'm a huge believer that, you know, 
we of course can't affect the outcome of our lives, but we can have an impact on it by the way we show up every day because our days are just a accumulation um, of a accumulation of days just are our life, right? And it's much easier, right, to eat the elephant one bite at a time of thinking of our of our life in this sort of like microcosm of days, right? So here I am telling you about these 10 habits. So you're probably thinking, well, shut up and get there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am. The first one, you may be wondering what I would have chosen first. Now, it's a funny one because this one is a habit, but it's also a healthy habit. And um, this habit is hydration. And I talk about hydration a lot in my coaching work. And I do that because, you know, most people are walking around this planet, at least here in the U.S., very, very dehydrated. Um, you know, we are the most dehydrated the minute we wake up and we most dehydrated the minute we wake up and we are detoxing all night long, right? So our body's detoxing. It's getting rid of maybe the wine we drank or the sweets we ate and, or the crap food we ate or whatever, just natural detoxing. And if we don't, flush our bodies out, those toxins have nowhere to go. So it's really, really important. Just like you would take a shower in the morning, perhaps that's a habit for you um, to drink water. Now, how much water you might be thinking. So this is the, this is the, the dirty trick. Take your weight, put it in half, convert it to ounces. And that's how much water you should have every day. So if you weigh 200 pounds, they can, in half, that's a hundred ounces of water a day. Get that? So the wonderful thing about water is it increases our energy. It increases our focus. It increases our um, clarity. And it generally makes us feel better. It makes our faces look better. It makes our skin better and more elastic. Um, and this is the advantage. If you're drinking more water than everyone else, and you're looking to be the most to be the most productive person in the room forget your to-do list drink water the other thing about water is it is the number one secret to weight loss so again the the weight loss industry has zero desire to tell you this because they can't sell you water at least they they can sell it to you in a bottle but they can't sell it to you um, for a high ticket but if you drink water that's the first step in losing weight so we're talking about natural water we're not talking about sodas or water and food or even God bless, which I love, LaCroix. Um, we're talking about natural water. So how, how to get the 100 you know, ounces a day if you're 200 pounds? Well, the best thing to do is start your day by drinking about 30 ounces of water. So I'm talking like before you drink coffee. And I would suggest drinking it with like a straw and um, just drinking it first. And this will do a couple of things for you. It will flush you out right? We do carry around 17 pounds of gook in our stomachs. And that is why drinking water can help you lose weight quick. Right. And it also can make us feel fuller. So we eat less. Oftentimes our body gets super confused between if we're hungry or thirsty. So we end up filling up with food when all we really need is water. And um, if we drink that 30 ounces of water first thing in the morning, and let's say our, our goal for the day is hundred ounces, we're a third of the way there. Another idea is to leave water on your table at your office, um, 
to have it everywhere you go. I have a lot of clients that actually have like a pitcher of their desired amount of water on the table. And then all day they just pour it into their cup or you can get a really large water bottle. That's like insane looking. Um, but water, 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 that's the number one. So your body will thank you. I promise. The second habit <laughs> you're waiting with bated breath is listening. So this is interesting. Listening, I chose as the second habit because most people don't listen. Most people just wait to speak. It's interesting how that works. So, or wait to be heard. So while you're talking, actually, most people are thinking in their head what they're going to respond or they're interrupting you. And so listening is this weird superpower because if we can do it, we immediately build connection with other people. Studies say that if you go outside every day and talk to a lamppost for 90 seconds and tell it your hopes and dreams and worries, that you'll be happier. And why is that? Because the lamppost doesn't talk back. <laughs> it's just you and the lamppost. So imagine holding that type of space for other people and having them hold it for you. That's how relationships grow and that's how connection grows. Listening is such the secret sauce to success in life. We also might learn something. Just because another person says something that we don't agree with doesn't mean that we need to shut them down. And it certainly doesn't mean we need to even voice our opinion. We can all be human and have different differences of opinion and that be okay, right? We're taught, especially in today's divisive environment, we're taught that you either have one opinion or the other and everybody divides themselves on opposite sides of the room. No one listens, no one cares, no one wants to talk about it. And that's just the way it is. That is not healthy people. <laughs> It's important to listen. You just never know what you'll hear. Yeah. We don't know everything. And I think Voltaire has a famous quote, no one knows anything, which is likely true. Okay. Habit number three, and it is sleep. And why sleep? And I chose sleep because, oh, Lord. <laughs> Most of us don't get too much of it. And why don't we get too much, too much of it? Because we're busy doing things. Now, I love to sleep. It is like one of my very, very, very favorite habits. And, you know, according to the CDC, um, less than five hours of sleep or five hours of sleep is sleep deprivation. So how, how much should we sleep? It depends on the person. And Really, you know, some people sleep eight hours, some people need nine, some people need 10, um, some people need less, children need more. But if you get less than five, it's usually sleep deprivation. Now, doing not doing more and sleeping less will not get you to where you want to go. It will actually prevent you from going where you need to go. Sleep like water is just like a basic tenet of health. And it's funny, it's not like you go to the doctor and they ask you how much sleep you're getting. Maybe your doctor does, but mine certainly doesn't. And we should be proud of sleeping. I really think if we as a society actually took the time to praise these soft skills like listening <laughs> and even sleeping, then we would be all better off. 
Sleep deprivation is one of the main leading causes of uh, traffic accidents. Imagine thinking that everybody's driving around, you know, half asleep, right? All sorts of things. Okay, what's next? The next one is walking. And I chose walking and not movement. Everyone always tries to, to, you know, fight me on this one saying that it has to be, it has to be movement, that we have to move every day. And I claim it should be walking. And, and I say that because walking is accessible to all of us, that we don't actually have, um, you know, too many situations um, where we can't go for a walk. And it, of course, it could be weather and it could be something else, but or impairments of some sort, but it is something that you can do with almost anyone and it's low impact and it's really good for your brain. I mean, you may have heard Steve Jobs and others, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they're famous for their walking meetings. And oftentimes I'll have clients that'll be on the phone and they'll actually, um, I'll, I'll ask them to go for a walk because they can think clearer, right? And there's a physiology to it, right? So when we're in motion, we actually um, don't aren't so stuck. And our energy is expanding and it's not contracting. And we're just in a different mindset. And let me tell you guys, like life, it's all mindset, right? Where attention goes, our energy flows, you may have heard. And the beautiful thing about walking is um, it's not fast. And usually it's not about actually going somewhere. It's about taking a stroll. And it's hard to go for a walk and be and be in a really crap mood the entire time. By usually the end of it, you feel a little bit lighter, even just 1%. The other thing that I love about walking is you can do it at any age. So not only can it be a social thing, but you can do it for my dad's 85. And he was um, visiting me in Colorado last summer, and he was walking up to two hours a day, right? No one got a massive in, in, injury from walking. Um, I actually had Libby Delena on the show and she has walked every single day for 10 years and she got some really bad news and told, told me that she spent an entire night walking and she has never, ever once had an injury. It's amazing. It really is amazing. It is very healing modality. Okay. What's the next one? The next one's silence. So I should stop talking, but silence is important because Okay. Again, everyone tells me it's meditation. It's meditation. You should be teaching meditation. Well, most people hear the word meditation and they totally completely clam up and turn and stop listening. <laughs> and the reason why is because, you know, meditation isn't accessible for all of us and it isn't something that resonates with everyone. I know for myself, even trying to meditate can be tough. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And sometimes it's nice, especially in the morning to have a little bit of silence before you get it going in your day. And I'll talk about morning routine in a second, but the sleep piece is, is where you wake up from sleep. You've still really connected to that to ag agnostic state. And in that state is where you, you might have great ideas, right? Writers write in this hour. So if we stay quiet and not have these inputs, then we can at least allow that creative time to keep flowing through our morning. So don't try not turning the TV off for phone first thing. Try not having, you know, looking at your email first thing, because those are all inputs and you can't control them. They're quite passive. It's not like choosing to read whatever it is in the morning, self-help book, you know, 
a devotional, whatever you may read in the morning, that's helpful. Um, But certainly we need to have some semblance of peace in our lives before the busyness starts. And that leads to the morning routine. Now you might have read Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, or you might have watched his movie. It's on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend it. He's awesome. And he has this entire movement called Miracle Morning, where people literally follow him around and go to these conferences. It's so awesome. And they they basically... Um, you know, preach this idea of having a morning routine. Now, morning routine is not new and Hal Elrod did not invent it. A morning routine has been around for ages. Um, the morning routine was something that Benjamin Franklin had a morning routine. I think Napoleon had a morning routine. Um, I actually have Benjamin Franklin's um, somewhere. And I will tell you more about the morning routine after break, but it's part, there's seven parts to it. And it really is something that gives us space between the busy day and our sort of nice sleeping, calm state. So the interesting thing about the morning routine is I've been doing it for about a year and my life has completely changed. And so I, I'm, I'm evidence. I teach it to everyone um, because having that sort of container and that chalice of space for ourselves is the way that we set our tone for the day. Because if we can't set the tone for the day, we can't set the tone for our life. And we certainly cannot control anything happening out there. We cannot control any people, any the new bad news. We cannot control the outcome. We cannot control situations, relationships. We cannot even control to some degree our children. We are really only responsible for what happens in here, and that's it. And so the morning routine allows us to look inward, remember those ancient texts, and as a result, spend some time with ourselves and give ourselves what we need before we have to give everything else away, right? Before we spend our day giving our power away. It's a way to sort of hone our power so that we have the time to make the decisions of how we want to give it away, which is really beautiful. But on that note, we're going to go to break. So thank you guys so much. And we'll see you right after the break. And I'm going to talk about the morning routine and what it's made of. It's a good one. It's juicy. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. 
or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Now, Back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. Hi, welcome everyone. Thanks for hanging in there. We're here talking about habits for happiness, the 10 habit free habits that can make you a whole lot happier. So we were just before the break talking about the concept of the morning routine, and now I'm going to tell you the what. So the morning routine, again, I... I um, I, I like to work with Miracle Morning context of how Elrod's in his container is this idea. He has the acronym SAVERS and it stands for silence. So we just had talked about that as a habit. So right when you wake up, 97% of Americans look at their phone within one minute of waking, which is incredible stat and completely exhausting one. It's a lot of people to ask to come into your bedroom before you've even... <laughs> put your clothes on. So please put your phone in the bathroom and use alarm clock or, or turn that alarm off and then go back to bed and, or have 10 minutes of silence somewhere in your house, have 10 minutes of silence and just reset and get ready for the day in that way. Um, not looking at a screen, preferably the A in savers is for affirmation. So I do this during my silence and I'm sorry, Hal, if I'm messing that up, but things like, you know, I am enough. Um, I'm going to rock my day, whatever it is to make you feel pumped up and, and awesome. Uh, the V is for visualization. And I did um, a podcast with um, master life coach, Jeff Patterson, and he talked about this idea of visualization and, and what he does every morning. So I'm just going to share it because it's like so amazingly powerful is that you basically sit there, you know, in your silence or um, as a, a standalone meditation and think of all the amazing outcomes that could happen in your day, like big, like, you know, get that check I've been waiting for. It could be, um, you know, have that person call me or whatever it is, or, um, you know, take a risk on this situation or do this business deal, whatever it is, um, big, big, big thoughts. And he, he visualizes them happening and steps into them in his mind's eye, like they've already happened. And then he writes them down. He usually says he throws them away, but there's some power in sort of the transcription piece. And, you know, he says often more often than not, a lot of them happen. And the most amazing thing about this piece is that with visualization and, and this, this type of practice with visualization is we can't actually get what we want if we don't know what that is. So the power of visualization is that most people ask us what we don't want, and we're totally clear on what we don't want, but we are not clear on what we want. And so it allows your mind to get super clear on like what it really, really wants. And then it allows you to get those things. Now, I always say the universe wants to give you exactly, exactly what you want. But if you're unclear or fuzzy, it's going to give you that what you want, like, but three beats off. So being as specific as possible is paramount to this experience, right? 
So the E is exercise. And if you watch this movie of Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning, it's really, he's talking about like a hit class for five minutes. He's not talking about going on a 10 mile run, but it could be if that's what you want to do in the morning, but getting some time to move your body, whether that's stretching or doing a hit class or, you know, being on the treadmill for 30 minutes, I don't know. It's up to you because the Miracle Morning or your morning routine is specific to you and the person. There is no... Um, prescription. This is again, just offers on a menu of a recipe you can create on your own for your own beautiful morning. Uh, the next one's reading. So reading something. And again, this is inputs, but this is, this is active inputs. It's you're choosing what to have as an input versus like emails are coming at you or text messages are coming at you, or the news is coming at you. Those things are that can be very jarring to our nervous system. So things like reading, um, especially without a screen, give our body a chance to focus, especially in sort of that tender time of the morning. And I suggest reading a couple pages of something that's inspirational. That could be anything for you. That again, could be like a morning meditation. It could be a devotional. It could be, I like to read Tony Robbins in the morning. That's something, a little tidbit about me. He makes me um, laugh and he's, he's awesome and totally um, empowering. So and then the last one is scribing. And this is just a fancy way to say journaling. Um, every morning I write three things I'm, or more I'm grateful for. And then I write three things I actually want to get done before 10 a.m. So this is like a really cool life hack. The 10 things that I want to get done before 10 a.m. Help me at, for those business nerds out there like I am. Um, keep me in Covey Quadrant 2, right? So the seven habits of highly effective people written by Stephen Covey, which is taught in a lot of business school classes or master's classes is this idea that if we spend time doing these, prioritize the things that are important, but not urgent, and we get them done early in the morning, then we often stay away from being in sort of this reactive putting out fires mode, which is Covey Quadrant 1. And the beautiful thing is three things on your to-do list is much more manageable than 25 things on your to-do list. And I always say, if you can get the three hardest things done, maybe that email you've been putting off, maybe that, you know phone call you've been meeting to make, calling about that bill, whatever it is, once you do those hard three things, then the rest of your day is just like smooth sailing, right? It's a lanyap, as we say in Louisiana. So the critical three, I write things I'm, I'm grateful for. And the reason why we do grateful, what we're grateful for, and this is another habit, gratitude, which I'll pivot into in a second. We write the things things we're grateful for because what we look for grows. And I'll talk about that in the gratitude piece. The next thing I write is something I want to let go of, and it could be anger, it could be something, but it gives me a sort of a barometer understanding of what's happening in my day. Now, my morning routine is really short. It's only about 15 minutes. Some morning routines can be an hour, but you choose yours. You do you, but I challenge you guys to do seven minutes of a morning, seven days, sorry, not seven minutes of more than sort of 10 minutes of a morning routine for seven days and see how you feel. I mean, my clients love it. I've never had someone say that they absolutely hate it. I've had lots of people say that they're not morning people, but here's the deal. I, you know, find that the morning routine starts at night. So if you want a really good morning routine, you have to go to bed on time. So like resist the urge to stay up all night watching Netflix so that you can get up and have this sort of fulfilling morning routine. So, so good morning routine, again, starts with a good nighttime routine and most of us aren't morning people because we don't actually have a pretty good nighttime routine. So that's something to think about. If you want to get your eight hours in, you need to go to bed by 10 to get up at six, you know, that whole backwards math. So the next habit, one of my favorites is gratitude. And obviously this is lumped in like water and sleep and silence into 
the morning routine, but the morning routine is a habit amongst in of itself. It's a cluster of other habits. But why is gratitude a standalone habit? Why is it so important? And, and the reason is because have you, I'm sure all of you have bought a car and it's a certain color and a certain make and model. And of course you see that car going everywhere, right? The minute you decide to buy it, maybe even before you bought it, maybe you're just interested in it. You see it everywhere on the road. Well, the reason is, is that we're you know, our attention goes, our energy flows. So pretty much everything we look for, we will find. That's interesting. And the reason why it's so interesting is because the good always exists. Now the bad, it definitely exists too. And I'm not saying we should just, you know, put our heads in the sand and ignore the bad, but I am saying that if we look for the good, we will find it. Now, the way that our brains are structured and our brains have not caught up to current day, that's why we're constantly dealing with fight, flight, or freeze in sort of modern day era. And we're not being you know, chased by saber-toothed tigers. But the idea is that our brains are meant to scan the environment for the bad so we don't get eaten. But if we continue to rewire and retrain our brain, which is possible to look for the good instead of looking for the bad, to scan our environment for the good, we will always find it too. Now, the beauty of this practice, I actually did this for an entire year. I wrote something down that I was grateful for in a beautiful book by Pamela Pereski, who lives here in Colorado. Um, and it actually changed the chemistry of my brain. I actually started to begin to find that in almost every situation, I could see the silver lining. And that wasn't really my mindset before. And it's continued to this day. I did that maybe 10 years ago. And it, it was a beautiful gift because it also proved this idea that people that have a gratitude practice are happier. It's a fact, right? Because whatever we look for will grow. Now, here's the other thing is that we actually all as adults have these beliefs that we carry around and beliefs are just ideas that we hold to be true. We hold dear. That's the, the definition of belief, something we hold dear. And if we really want to hold it dear, it then becomes a conviction, which is a step beyond a belief. But if we want to make sure as humans that we are right, because we're so righteous, then we look and scan the environment to make sure that we find evidence to support our beliefs. Now stay with me here. Okay. But the idea is that if we look for evidence to support our beliefs, we will always find it because all evidence for everything exists. That's why if you believe there are good things in the world, you will find them. If you believe this world is a bad thing or bad things are in this world, you will find those too. I think it was Einstein who said the most important decision you will ever make is, is this a friendly universe? I would like to think, yes, it is. Okay. Moving past gratitude, we're going to talk about breathing. So breathing is an important one because we do it all day long. <laughs> I interviewed James Nestor who wrote breath and he's an amazing human being on the show. And he talked about this idea that, um, I think we take, I might be wrong here. So fact check me, if, but 30 and send me a message. If I'm wrong, something like 60,000 breaths a day or something, but we, are oftentimes breathing very shallowly, like into our um, the upper part of our chest. And then we wonder why we're exhausted and dizzy and all of these things. Now, if you watch a baby sleep, they, and they breathe or the way they breathe in general in and out like big belly breaths and all the way down to the bottom of their diaphragm. That's actually how we should all be breathing. And the truth is, is if we're able to breathe that 
far down into our diaphragm, there's these little receptors at the bottom of our lungs that when they receive oxygen, tell your body that you're okay. So the number one way to fight anxiety is to breathe deeply often. And most of us do not know how to do this. And so some easy, easy, easy tricks are, you know, um, I like the sort of box breathing method. There's hundreds and I can, if you want to message me, I can give you a ton of breathing techniques, but I like to think of breathing as a box. So in for three, out for three, in for three, out for three. And I did that much faster than you, than you would on your own, but in for count one, two, three, that would be one cycle of breath. Again, we could even argue that we should be breathing in and out of our nose. That's a whole nother topic. You can listen to that show with James Nestor about nose breathing, but really encouraging yourself to think about breathing from your diaphragm. This one crucial habit will improve clarity, focus, and make you less anxious and able really, here's the superpower part to respond and not react to situations. I think every single coaching client that's come to me, hundreds, they have said that that is something they want to work on is responding to life and not reacting to life. You know, we all get so triggered by other people's stuff. And oftentimes the inputs we're receiving on the news or whatnot, we get super triggered. And then we go into fight or flight and you sometimes it's fight and we're reacting and we're reacting from a place that's much younger than ourselves and totally fights like not very well. And our ability to respond and not react, to take a breath, and to respond to the other person is as crucial in our ability to have connection and positive relationships as listening. Again, free and easy, but takes practice. All of these take practice. I would say that all of these habits are like, I always say they're like weak muscles. We just don't use very often. They all live inside of you. You know how to do them all. You just don't have a ton of practice. The next one I'm going to talk about is kindness. Now, this is everyone laughs because they think it's super woo-woo, but here's the deal. People that you know engage in acts of kindness are happier. The data shows I'm not making it up, not blowing smoke. They are happier. And I'm not talking about kindness in the sense of, you know, you need to go buy the biggest fruit basket and deliver it to everyone you know. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about basic human decency and connection. So Making eye contact, I consider kind. Saying please and thank you, I consider kind, right? I also think holding the door for someone or letting someone who's older or needs more time go ahead, right? Having respect. Kindness is the ultimate form of respect for other human beings. And the reason why I'm so bullish on kindness is because one, it's a lost art. I write a lot of thank you notes and I do that because people don't often receive them. And it's like, it's so easy. It takes two seconds, but when people receive them, like that's the kindest thing. People are touched by kindness. If you want to build connection with other people, be kind. It is such a superpower. Now, all kindness doesn't even need to be um, reciprocated right? Or acknowledged. And that's important because kindness can be closing your neighbor's mailbox without them ever knowing. You never need to tell them. It's just, you know. And I think it's like dropping, um, you know, coins in the karmic bucket 
because the idea of kindness and all good that we put out in the world, and this is law of attraction, it does come back to us. Now, it might not come back to the person we're kind to, but it definitely comes back to us in other ways. Definitely, without a doubt. Okay. So the last one that I want to talk about that's so amazing and probably my favorite and definitely the hardest is forgiveness. Now, why in the world am I talking about forgiveness as a habit? You might be thinking like, I have no one to forgive and the people that have done things to me do not deserve it. Right. But we don't forgive people because we are saying what they've done to us is okay. And I think this is where we get really tripped up with forgiveness is we really have this belief that if we don't hold someone accountable for what they've done to us, then they're going to get away with it. Well, they've already gotten away with it because <laughs> your perception is they've done it. But here's the thing, likely you holding on to that anger about the perception of what they've done to you doesn't really affect them or others. The only thing it does is it makes you more angry and resentful. And it keeps you there, keeps you in the time of the action of the incident. And here's the thing about forgiveness. It's not condoning. It's not forgetting. But is letting yourself off the hook. Now, that's something totally different than most of us think is forgiveness. You know, I think Nelson Mandela has a beautiful quote, you know, anger is like swallowing poison and expecting everyone else to die. Forgiveness is the way that we get back to life. I know I've practiced it in my own life. It's been extremely difficult because I definitely have a very binary sense of justice. But the thing is, is that we deserve to not live a life in pain about other people's actions. We are responsible for ourselves. We're not responsible for anyone else, maybe our children, but no one else. We are not responsible for what they do to us. And we are not responsible for holding on to the pain of what they do to us. Now, that may sound extreme because I know there are things that happen to people that are really treacherous, but you've all read stories of people that have forgiven their tormentors and they haven't done it to condone. They've done it to let themselves on the hook so they can move forward and take rocks out of their own backpack and move on with their life. It doesn't mean forgetting, but it definitely means giving yourself the compassion that says, I don't deserve to keep living here in this place with this grudge or this burden. Now, forgiveness also doesn't need to happen in person. You can forgive someone in your heart. And that doesn't mean you need to go and write them a letter of forgiveness or say like, I forgive you, you know, <laughs> and make it, make it um, childish or, or even sort of passive aggressive. That's not the intention. The intention is to fully forgive them and again, when you're ready, not everybody's ready. Look, grief is a process. I understand. And you can't get there until you get there, but it is a beautiful part of allowing yourself to be happy. And here's the thing about happiness is that most of us don't like what we don't know. So many of us listening have been suffering maybe with one thing or the other or stuck for a very long time. Now, we might know what we need to do to change. We might not. 
but many of us are unwilling because the suffering we know is much more comfortable than the happiness that we don't know. And that sounds completely and utterly ridiculous, but it's true. We are wired for survival. We're not wired for happiness. Again, we're still wired from 15,000 years ago, right? When we lived in the wild. So our modern brains need to catch up and we can do this rewiring through these habits. So if you feel stuck or if you feel like you definitely, you know, know you want to change and you're suffering where you are, but you can't, nothing you can do seems to get you there. I offer one step at a time, one free habit at a time and realize we have no, no control over everything out there. We only have control over ourselves and that's where happiness lives. You may have heard of this amazing equation that I love is um, E plus R equals O and that's the event plus the response equals the outcome. We have no control over the events of our lives. We, we really don't. As much as we like to think we do, we don't. And the more we try to force and fix, the less we get what we want. And that's a whole nother topic, but yes. But how we respond to life, how we breathe, how we pause, how nice we are to other people, that can affect the outcome. So the event our response, which is highly influenced by our behaviors and our habits, can then have a response. And I invite you all to try these things. If you're interested to learn more, please check me out on my website at habits with a four happiness.com. My email is lady at happinessmba.com. And you can check us out also on our Facebook group at Habits for Happiness, and we can continue the conversation. But these are the habits, and I hope you guys got something out of it today. Please write down if you had an aha. I'd love to hear from you guys. And please listen next week for another riveting habit that can change your life. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.